Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJS Bay's Blog Talk Radio. Show radio show conversations on New Jersey education. This is a show dedicated to bringing uh, the, the important issues in education to those of us in the education community and beyond. And we hope to bring educational leaders to you and state political leaders. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning's show. Today, as usual, we will not only be taking your calls, but we will have our chat room open. So if you want to uh, ask our guest a question, you have two vehicles in which to do that. Uh, Christy, would you please explain how this works? Uh, I would love to. Hello, everybody. Now, if you want to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. And if you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone. That will indicate on my switchboard that you have something to say. I'll get your name, and I'll get your question or topic, and we'll put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We will be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speakers. To log on the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Christy. Uh, as has been discussed in this program uh, a few times and, and in the halls of Trenton, New Jersey is seriously looking at changing its teacher tenure laws and how we evaluate te- teachers. Um, you know, I've been around for a while, and I never really thought I'd see the day where it would be such a serious discussion on these two issues. I thought it might come, but I always thought it would come further down the road. But it looks like now that something will happen because I think that the discussion has changed from whether or not we should reform but how we should reform and the timetable for that change, you know, at what speed. Originally in this program, we were going to have two two different points of view, uh, teachers on one side and uh, giving their personal views on how they look at uh, some of these proposed changes. And Laura Waters, a blogger uh, who has her own blog called New Jersey Left Behind, which I know many of you may be reading. If not, you should. Uh, and her views would be a little bit different in NJEAs or most teachers. Unfortunately, uh, the, both teachers that we had unexpe- unexpect- unexpectedly at the last minute could not participate. Fortunately, Laura Waters is still able to join us. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Ray. Happy to be here. Great. What I'm going to do for the listeners out there is, since we don't have two different sides, we're going to have one and a half different sides. I'm going to try to take the side of uh, the teachers, um, not and please don't confuse that with NJSBA's point of view, but from, from my conversations with the teachers, uh, I will try to bring up some of their concerns, which I think as an employee, uh, most of us can understand. Um, Laura, first of all, before I get into a lot of these questions, uh, could you explain a little bit about uh, New Jersey Left Behind and your background? Sure. Um, I became involved in education reform in New Jersey not really through the the my part-time job which is um being on a school board in in Mercer County. I my my district is really a suburban district that does just fine. But as I became more aware of the issues um in it surrounding edu- public education in New Jersey, I became focused on um, mostly on poor urban districts. So my blog really covers uh, disparities in access for children, for instance, if they live in Camden or Cherry Hill or they live in Princeton or Trenton or they live, you know, you compare up right. any 
it was in any county, uh, a really terrible school with a really great school. And our home rule structure has led to a situation where our kids' ability to access great education is defined by zip code. So my blog really focuses on that. I do look at other issues, of course, like tenure and um, other aspects of, of education reform in New Jersey. Yeah, and uh, even with that focus, I think the focus in education education reform started with the poorer districts or the districts that were underachieving or perceived to be underachieving, mm -hmm. but the reform movement really affects all school districts. It does. It does, though. So much of of the big topics of conversation, not just at a New Jersey level, but at a federal level, really seek to address what a lot of people call the achievement gap. So, for instance, the No Child Left Behind legislation and, and Race to the Top federal competition are really, um, their intent is to drive achievement for typically low-performing districts. So it's, oh. so it's hard to separate out. Um, let's get to the tenure issue a little bit because mm -hmm. that, that's been around for uh, close to 100 years. And yeah. one of the concerns that teachers have, uh, and I know this from their conversations, I, I've gone to uh, NJEA events uh, as a guest. Uh, they're very concerned about if they lose tenure, there will be no protection against arbitrary firings. Uh, how do you view that? Because, I mean, you're on the school board and you mm -hmm. deal with administrators. I think that that can be a red herring in these discussions. I mean, look, New Jersey passed its was was the first state in the country to pass a really rigorous tenure protection law and that it was back in 1909 and at that point there teachers were really subject to a lot of nepotism and internal local district politics we have such strong nepotism laws in New Jersey right now that i don't really think that um that that's so much a factor. I think that that we have cre that 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 argument that teachers would then be subject to um, specific board member agendas or um, principal agendas. It, it I think that that has been largely resolved. It's an old argument. Just as many arguments against tenure reform are are focused on old models. Uh, right. So, um, and I'll, I'll just add um, the other cons uh, issue that they bring up to me is, and, and I, I took your point of view, is that there's enough protections in there and that tenure is not the only protection. But um, concern is I've been teaching in district 15 years or so, and I'm, I'm at mm -hmm. a higher grit. Uh, you know, higher level on the salary guide sure. that they may want to get rid of me not because I'm not a good teacher, but but because you cost more money. I it costs more money. So during those, you know, there's always years when you get state aid cuts or the, the budget's not good. That I'll be let go simply for that reason. Can we have? Can you still protect those teachers? I think that there's really two different aspects to that concern, and it's a legitimate concern. I mean, when boards do budgets, which are increasingly difficult as 
we um, struggle with lower amounts of state aid, no matter where you are in New Jersey. There's certainly everyone look. Everyone looks at scattergrams to see how many um, teachers are at, say, a top step versus teachers at a, a low step. Which, in other words, teachers who are new to the system and therefore get paid less, and teachers who who have been in the system for a long time and and therefore get paid a lot more. I think. Um, there's, there's, so I think there's two pieces to this. The first piece is that it's, it's very simple in that there's nothing school boards and good administrators care about more than student achievement. And if a teacher is, is a, is a, as most of our teachers are in New Jersey, is a qualified, effective instructor, then there's no way that any, board member or administrator is going to want to get rid of that teacher because we are judged in so many ways on our student output. So if the, if the teacher has a history of being an effective instructor, I, I can't think of a board member or administrator who would even suggest for a moment that that teacher should be, be replaced by someone who costs less to, 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 meet, to meet payroll. The other issue, which is bigger and not as simple, is that our whole salary structure in New Jersey is based on lapses of logic <laughs> in that we have a merit pay system, but our merit is based on seniority and how many teaching credits, uh, how, excuse me, how many credits, whether a teacher has a BA or an MA or how many credits in addition. So we already award teachers more for things that don't affect student output. There's been tons of research that shows that even our best teachers level out in their um, in their increase in proficiency in the classroom after, say, five years. But we keep paying them more and more. I, th I think that we need to look at different ways of awarding excellence and that it shouldn't just be a factor of how many years you're in the district or whether you have 30 credits over a BA. So I think that there's – so one of the answers is simple in that it's simply a matter of recognizing that it's, it's a – you're misconstruing the intentions of school boards and school administrators to think that they get rid of good teachers to save money. The second is is bigger in that we're I think we need to reevaluate how we define merit. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other program. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know, I know. So these are big questions, right? No, it it is a big question and uh but just uh, to follow up on that, uh, when I started, uh, I can remember we used to, the big issue was professional development, where they had to have the 100 hours of training. Are you saying that that type of – and the state was pushing for that. That wasn't really, – Yeah. Um, that the, the teachers had to go back. So the, the philosophy was, at least, that teachers going back – and not necessarily for college credits, but for some type of training would make mm -hmm. them better teachers. Uh, do you still believe that that still has a, a role? Yes, of course. Um, professional development is key in all kinds of professions, whether you're talking about doctors or lawyers or teachers. Um, I think that saying 100 hours is not that meaningful if, if, if it's not a high-quality 100 hours. I think that just like a child would benefit from 
from a shorter time with a great teacher instead of, you know, doubling the time with a terrible teacher, I think that it's the quality of the professional development, not just measured in hours. Of course, the state has to measure it somehow, and that's really easy to measure it in hours. If we had a way to measure the the amount of learning or the or how how the teachers transfer that professional development to to best practices that would be meaningful but it more meaningful but of course that's more difficult to do um now there's bill there's one bill uh, the senator ruiz bill teach nj which is mm-hmm. probably the bill that's going to uh move uh but if and probably not in the form that it is now but should we reform tenure or from your point of view is is tenure really an outdated system almost completely i think that there's there's that's one question that you just asked but there's also a political reality i if if senator Ruiz went in and said, let's get rid of tenure, which I don't, I'm not saying she believes we should, though there are people who believe they should, we, that we should. Um, I think that that would be a, a no-go from the start. I think that her bill contains some really essential reforms that will start us on the right path. I was concerned, as NJSBA was, at the recent Senate Assembly Committee hearing. I saw you there, Ray. Um, <laughs> and and I think can you hear me? Uh, you you broke up a little bit. Is that that? No, not better. I can hear you now. Okay. No, not not on my end. What should you do, Ray? Uh, why don't you hang up and call back? I okay. guess. And uh, I'll put you through, and then uh, our listeners, you're going to get to hear my points of view on that. Um, Okay. (laughs) uh, While we're waiting for Laura, if anyone does want to call in and participate in the discussion, you dial 1-347-989-8904, and just press 1, and that will let me know that you want to ask a question. Uh, To me, the 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 tenure debate – I remember when we had uh, the executive director of NJEA on, and I asked him a question, if tenure is so good, how come we don't have it in all fields? And he thought maybe we should, but if you look around, it, we don't we don't see tenure in uh, in, uh, in other fields. We see tenure pretty much only in the public education. Okay. Laura, Laura are you back? Yep, I'm right here. Okay, I can hear you now. I was Great. just saying that uh, when I had uh, Vince Giordano on the Executive Director NJA. I asked him if tenure is so good, why can't why don't we have it everywhere? And he said maybe we should. And I kind of thought that was not a <laughs> That's realistic really interesting. Um, because if you look at tenure from the point of view of simply you have these highly trained professionals, and should they have the type of job security and um, immunity from evaluations that other professionals have it's it's hard to justify i mean for instance i was actually looking at some statistics and in new jersey um the number of teachers who lose 
their tenure every year is 0.14%. If you look at lawyers, it's 1%. In other words, one out of 97 lawyers are disbarred every year. It's, it's hugely different. And lawyers are judged all the time on on subjective measures. Some of them are objective, like, for instance, I suppose, how many cases they win or lose. Um, doctors, who also have a much higher rate of losing their licenses, are judged on, say, patient outcome. Yet so much of the tenure discussions and politics have gotten caught up in and this is something I assume we were going to talk about anyway, but how, to, how do we fairly evaluate teachers when you're dealing with, you know, great disparities in, in children's ability to learn and outside factors? Yet somehow in other professions like doctors, I mean, look, one doctor might have uh, a cohort of much sicker patients, for instance, but we still manage, they still manage to function without tenure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do know um, that they do rate heart surgeons. <laughs> yeah, and, they do. And, and, that, and that's a, that's a, you know, that's probably that's life or death, basically judging. Absolutely, uh, and you know what? I don't know enough about it, but I'm guessing that they that there's some weighting of those of of the doctor's success rate. In other words, if the patient comes in and is is has all kinds of other d- disorders that you know they that that their final number is is weighted for that and that's just what every teacher evaluation system would do anyway so well, let's I, get back I, to the Senator Ruiz bill because that's yeah, sure. because, um what was your one concern with it because uh, my I one think concern it right because it moves it in the right it moves the discussion in the right direction it absolutely does and I'm a big supporter of Ter- Teresa Ruiz's bill I think that the one disappointment I had that was shared by everyone at that hearing I mentioned from from NJSBA from People like Brian Osborne, who's a, such a highly regarded superintendent from South Orange, um, from all sorts of different groups there, that that there was a tweak to the bill apparently at the last minute that would only eliminate LIFO or, or last in first out for new teachers. In other words, right now when a district is in a position where it has to lay off teachers, they are forced to lay off the youngest teachers first, even if those younger teachers are are great teachers and they're forced to keep other teachers who might not be so great. And the original bill called for ending the practice of LIFO for all teachers. And the new bill, which I guess was some big concession, was though the new version that we heard about was only used last new teachers coming into the system would not um, be subject to life and to right. life of. and that was i think a, that's a that concerns me i think that if if we start if we end life only for brand new teachers it will take a generation to to upgrade our teaching cadre, and that's not fair to kids. 
I think the argument made by many is if it's important, it's important now. It's not important 20 years from now. Exactly. I mean, uh, maybe 20 years is too long, but it, it, it would be a significant amount of time. Uh, it we would. Do have a, we do have a comment. Uh, Nathan Parker. Nathan, how are you? Good. How you doing, Ray? Good. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, this is a, 10 years a real interesting thing. It's a hot-button issue in terms of uh, politics, to say the least. Right and uh, and I've been a superintendent in Upper Saddle River, Orange, and now in Summit, and uh, kind of diverse districts. And uh, and you've done a good job in all three. Thank you. <laughs> and the and Summit and and in, and in general, tenure has never interfered with my ability to have teachers who are ineffective leave the system. Uh, what I have found is that uh, for the most part, we don't exploit the resources that we have that are available to uh, end positions such as withholding of increments or actually giving uh, consistent and fair feedback to staff members when they're not performing at a high enough level. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a – there's a little bit of I, – I actually have seen more abuse in terms of people who, for political reasons, where someone in a community may choose or a board member may have a problem with a particular staff member and start riding that staff member – and if they didn't have tenure, they would be out of here. Uh, and uh, clearly with the financial pressures on school districts, there will be a real tendency to look very closely at those people who are making $80,000 worth of, versus those who are making fifty. So I come a little down a little bit differently on this tenure thing from a practical point of view. Also, when we start talking about doctors and lawyers, uh, I don't know if you have read or heard Sanjay Gupta talk about the medical profession, and he's one of the most esteemed reporters on medicine. But according to his book, Monday Morning, and as he was on TV last week, 100,000 people die in hospitals because of medical errors. So, you know, I think that there's a there's some myths about the fact that people, and you don't hear that many times where doctors or lawyers lose their jobs as an occasional one. So I would, I would, I would suggest less emphasis on worrying about tenure and more emphasis about making school districts um, more appealing places to work and the educational profession more appealing and trying to attract real bright people into the profession. So that's my my take on this. Yeah, the other couple, part. Uh, the can other I just? Part, uh, all right, you go. Anything? I had a question I want to ask you. One other one other point is that in terms of the Ruiz bill, you know, the notion that the authority from boards of education and superintendents is taken away from placing teachers, uh, and that in fact you would have what, which is what's happening right now in Newark, where there's a number of teachers who are not even assigned to classrooms because, in effect, the Ruiz type bill is being implemented through, through you know, through a decision locally, uh, where you have um, I think eight million dollars worth of teachers who are really not. You know, you know, in a classroom situation, rather than a position where they could be closely evaluated and and encouraged to leave the organization. So yeah, that was the, the mutual that. consent uh, clause in the Ruiz bill for our listeners, where uh, it's kind of a hard thing to explain. But if the principal does not want the teacher placed in that district and the teacher doesn't want to move out, they still get paid for that for a year. Until they, uh, I think, I believe in Newark though they're using them as in-class support and sometimes long-term substitutes. Uh, yeah. But they're still regular teachers. Right, and that's high-paid in-class support and high-paid. Uh, well, yeah, I, I would teachers. agree with you on that. Yeah. Uh, and, but what, uh, I mean, I think what we're missing here is what is better for the kids. We, you know, part of the problem with the tenure discussion is it's it's very much focused on the old model 
of teacher unions, which is was 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 is based on um, industry, was based on um, early early versions of of the industrial market, and that focus is on simply protecting workers' rights, and that's NJEA's role, and they do a great job with it. But I think that what often happens in these tenure discussions is that we don't look closely enough at the impact that potential changes could have on kids, particularly kids in districts that struggle. Mm-hmm. I think that in those cases that that the tenure rules really do get in the way. Uh, Dr. Can I just, Parker, make, can I just make, make one quick comment about sure. the, you know, the, the tenure really didn't emerge out of public education. It's really a, a private independent college thing, and it really emerged so people could have academic freedom. It really wasn't about job protection. Um, so it's that, that's not accurate about the history of, of tenure. Well, but, I think, it's, I think, I think there's different threads to the history. And, but that's a really interesting point you bring up about the academic freedom, which has certainly been a big issue on college campuses. I think that with changes in, for instance, in, in our adoption of Common Core uh, curriculum, which, which pretty much regiments what is taught in the classroom, I think that that actually is a good argument for the irrelevance of tenure in that we don't if tenure's that if you're saying that tenure's there to protect a teacher's political freedom, I'm not sure how relevant that is anymore. No, I think he was saying that's how it got started. Um this, uh, Dr. Parker, uh, um there were two points brought up, uh, one by uh, Laura Waters and I I know you network with your colleagues in terms of tenure, if tenure was not there or it was reformed somewhat, if you have a really good teacher, most boards and most uh, administrators I know, if the teacher is really succeeding, particularly in the area in the district where you, you may not be succeeding, uh, you would do everything you can to keep them there, right? Of course. So, um, and, um, so in that area, you would kind of agree. But I think you're you were bringing up a point that with some of these changes – and I want more to comment on this that it kind of brings the morale down in the or in the morale oh, down. No, yeah. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm just saying that boards and, and superintendents and principals I put myself have not exploited all the res- you know all the ways that we have of of getting ineffective staff members out of organizations. Right. And the other the other part that's really kind of a mythology is that the, about 50% of the teachers who start teaching leave after you know two years. So it's not it's not like it's not like doctors. I'm fifty percent of the doctors who start don't leave the professional lawyers leave. So just to even in summit, I think there's thirteen non tenured teachers who were non renewed in the last two years. They don't make the statistics. So, you know, to get to the point where somebody's gonna be brought up on tenure charges, it's a lot of people who lose their jobs way before that ever takes place. And I okay. think that kind of information gets missed. Uh, Laura, uh, mm-hmm. Nathan Parker did bring up another interesting point, and uh, part of the Ruiz bill it changes the management structure in terms of personnel. Um, it's seen. I mean, there's it's still there, but it seems that it substitute. You still have a say as a board and as a superintendent, but it seems to put more of the authority at the local school level than at the district level. You're going to get me in trouble here. Yeah, um, I I know. And I know that there are board members who are very concerned because right now the way it works in, in a New Jersey school district is that 
a superintendent would recommend the um, employment of everyone, ev- everyone in the district, from you know, from custodian to uh, 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 an assistant superintendent, and that the Ruiz bill transfers that authority to a principal. And I know that there are board members who don't like that idea because they view that as um, a loss of power. I think that in many instances, and I'm and I'm not just I'm not judging this from my own district. I'm talking about you know my knowledge of other districts. Is that basically school boards just rubber stamp the superintendent's recommendations, and that's because the board has no idea whether or not this is a good hire. They rely on their administrators. Um, I think that that transfer of power is actually, while it may hurt the egos of some school board members, I think it's actually good for kids. I mean, I'm I'm just remembering um, there's this, the superintendent, Brian Osborne from South Orange. I remember reading an article, I think it was in New, in New Jersey Spotlight, where he was testifying at a, at a different hearing, and he said he was talking about um, the ability of principals to be able to, if they're going to be responsible for the output of kids, for the achievement of kids, how can you ask them to do that if they can't control their own staff? And that also gets into the mutual consent piece. So I think that, um, I think that that's a hard piece of the bill for people to swallow because it does does disenfranchise in some ways school boards, but I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think that's actually healthy for the system. I think most superintendents take the principal's recommendations, but uh, Dr. Parker, you know better than me on that. Yeah, Uh, I mean, just so you know how it works, because that's not exactly how it works, what happens is you'd have, you know, like, for example, you know, we get two or 300 teachers apply for a position, say, Mm -hmm. and then the principal would review with their team of, and actually teachers might be involved too, they would review the you know the applicants and select ten or fifteen or twenty applicants to maybe do screening interviews and may select down to five and then have those three or four or five do demo lessons within the classroom mm-hmm. and then ultimately make a recommendation to the HR department or to me and then I would ultimately make a recommendation to the board of education. And so, the board of education though would not. Ha- have you had many instances where the board of education has not approved your recommendation? If I started recommending ineffective, you know, people to the Board of Education, they'd fire me. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't. You'd only – so they trust your judgment. Of That's course, all otherwise. I'm saying is that, that the Board of Education, that, that extra – it's really an extra step. The principal, as you say, interviews, you know, with a team, and then they make final recommendations to you. However, and, however, however, coming up on – May 1st or April 1st and April 2nd, we'll be going through all the non-tenured teachers of the administrators. It's going to go through each of our non-tenured staff members in the entire district with the entire Board of Education Mm -hmm. and and talking about their strengths and weaknesses. And board members keep track of what you say from year to year so that they they know whether the person's improving or not. So there's there's an enormous amount of oversight. But if you take away the authority of the Board of Education, who the hell are you going to keep accountable for the for the school system, really? And who do you, you know, if the superintendent's not, you, you know, the idea of a principal, you know, 
I certainly want my principals to be empowered and certainly always have. Uh, but but if, in fact, they again can make decisions, I mean, I have situations where, and I have had situations whereby a principal has wanted to maintain a staff member because they're part of the, you know, the school community over there, but they're not going to be as effective as someone in another school and where I would want to non-renew that person, that person uh, would want to renew them, and it wouldn't be a good decision. Mm. Interesting. You know, I have to switch this because we don't have as much time left as I had thought. We never got to teacher evaluation, and people from NJEA, uh, when uh, when I talk to them, and I think there's a valid point, it's hard to talk about tenure and changing all this without talking about how we evaluate the staff. Absolutely. Uh, And it's almost you should do the the evaluation model first, or simultaneously, which is what we're trying to do now. Um, here are some of the concerns that teachers would have: their their ability or their quality their is judged almost solely on the test score, which I'm not sure is true or not. Oh, just one more thing: uh, if anyone wants to call in, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press one while you're listening. Now, right. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to get off, but please. okay. A good job doing okay. this program, and nice talking to you, ma'am. Bye bye. Right. Nice talking to you. Um, uh, but so there is that is tied directly to test scores. Yeah, I think that certainly that's a big concern. And as as more and more states are looking at evaluating teachers using using data instead of making it completely subjective. It's, there's been a, a lot of research that shows that we are very early in the evolution of, of having accurate and fair value-added teacher evaluations. In other words, it, this is a new field. And there's been all, you know, at one point, I think uh, Governor Christie had said 50% of evaluation has to be um, come from standardized test scores. I don't think anybody's talking about that anymore. I think it's says student achievement, not necessarily test scores. Right. Right. Um, right. It, originally, it was, um, I think it was standardized test scores. That was an early permutation of this. And now with the Ruiz bill, it's... It's based on a portfolio of that draws from certainly from student achievement, but also other aspects like the implementation of best practices and all sorts of things. I think that I know that a lot of resistance to the Weeds Bill comes from concerns about the New Jersey Department of Ed having sort of all their ducks in a row with the um, the, the current pilot of of new teacher evaluations, and I did hear NJEA, uh, I think it was um, um, Ginger Goldschnitzer, argue that we should wait until we have a, a really good teacher evaluation But didn't model. Senator Ruiz say she's willing to adjust the timelines to adjust to the... She did. In yeah. fact, the, the DOE has already done that. Right now, it's a pilot with 11 districts, and the original plan was in this September, it would roll out to all New Jersey districts. Now, I think they've cut it back to 30, and other districts are going to implement just right. one piece of it. I mean, it, it had, the timeline has slowed down. I think that if we wait... I mean, really, if the argument is we're going to wait until we have the perfect teacher evaluation tool, and only then 
will we change our current teacher evaluation system, which everyone agrees is broken and ineffective, then I think we'll be waiting a long time. Waiting a really long time and, and treating and really it's it's sort of insulting to teachers to say okay. that other professions can be judged on, you know, imperfect using imperfect evaluative tools, but somehow teachers are so delicate that we have to wait for the perfect one. I, you know, I have a couple of callers here. Three. Okay, go. i try to get to them. Jim, how are you? Jim is superintendent. In, um, I'm fine, Ray. How are you? Good. Uh, you have I comment? Do, I, I guess I would. I mean, I would have a, a couple of comments. First, I would question why this originated and became a pressing issue in New Jersey. All standardized tests that I know, SAT scores, AP scores, and AP, NAEP scores, all of those, New Jersey's in the top three, four of the country. And what's happened is that we all agree that there has been a failure of kids who were growing up in abject poverty. And why the need to address that has expanded to all districts who, as Nathan was saying, get rid of ineffective teachers after year one, after year two, and that's why there's not so many left after year three. It, it seems uh, to me counterintuitive when we're everybody else is holding up those scores of, of Camden and Trenton and Newark and Jersey City and Patterson and those low-performing districts who have all very legitimate socioeconomic issues they're confronting, and we're still scoring as high as we do, that we had to go change the other 500 districts because of what's happening in, in 30. So your point well, actually, uh, my, my background. Yeah. I've actually uh, argued that, that maybe we ought to look at um, – at our fail because you're right, most of New Jersey does a great most New Jersey districts are high performing and and score really well on um on achievement tests. There is a large number of really poor kids who don't get to go to those schools. So you can make an argument that maybe our tenure system needs to be changed for only failing districts, but I don't think you can leave it at that. I don't necessarily agree with that argument. I just said I've put it out there. Then we should be paying teachers well, to teach schools much more. We have uh, to then give them an incentive to be there, and we have to change the way we pay one teacher who works in a school district where the kids are all come to school ready to learn. We shouldn't be paying them as much as a teacher who comes into a poor school where the kids are are wrapped with all sorts of um, of developmental delays that come from poverty. Jim, uh, let me just interject. Quite, quite frankly, Har I think there's a, another couple people on. I'll want to get to mm -hmm. Harley. I'll get to you, uh, Jim. So your feeling is that they're trying to improve districts where it's a one size fits all, and basically that they're perform performing open heart surgery on people who have perfectly good hearts. But I, but I also think they attacked the wrong piece. I mean, if they look over the history, plenty of us have brought teachers up on tenure charges. The administrative law judge raised the bar so high, we all got sick of paying so many legal fees. If they just Absolutely. changed the the how how high that bar was to get rid of ineffective teachers, I've been there a number of times with the teachers I know should have been out, and the, the administrative law judge says, oh, no, but you didn't do enough to help her, so she should stay. I mean, yeah. that's that's really at the root of it, and that would have been a much quicker, easier, less contentious fix. Okay. Uh, Jim, I'm going to put you on hold. I understand if you have to move on. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
I have different people here. Harley, yep. you had a question? Sure, or hi. comment? Hi. Uh, it was what I said before. You want to abolish tenure? <laughs> well, I have, I have two quick questions, actually. I think they really are quick. The first is just I'd love for the um, um, participant to just sort of prognosticate about whether she thinks that the abolition of tenure will happen in our lifetime. And the other question, I'm a new school board member, so I actually don't know the mechanics um, and sort of the statutory sort of parameters around this, but are school are local districts able to negotiate any particular terms of tenure like LIFO, or is that something that's set by state law no. that you can't? That's set by state law. State the law. tenure is, is statutory, so okay. it's not something that's negotiated by local districts. As far as um, your, your first question about um, whether tenure will be abolished, no, and I don't even think it should be. I mean, there's a lot of people who argue that it should. I think that um, NJSBA, for instance, has proposed five-year renewable contracts. I think that's a different kind of job security that's worth looking at. Um, I think that, I do think that no professional should have a system in place that, say they're a great teacher for three years, but 15 years later they're a bad teacher. I don't think that there's that a system that makes it so difficult to get rid of that bad teacher is serving kids. All right, I have to move on. Harley, thanks for uh, listening and, and your qu comment. Um, I'm going to go to Sean now. And Okay, Sean, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, you have a comment? Yeah, I do. I have one quick question and a comment um, to follow it up. Uh, the, the first I have is, you know, one of your previous callers mentioned that, you know, one of the biggest factors affecting a lot of our students' performance is the socioeconomic uh, factors that they face, the issues that they have, right. the challenges. And, you know, I hear this talk about tenure, and I look at the districts where those children are, and I don't understand how eliminating tenure all of a sudden helps those students, you know, have more food or have after-school programs or all these other things. I mean, it doesn't seem to be an issue tied in with teacher performance in those areas it's a it's a community that seems to be failing at schools and it's and it's and it's children um i i also find it interesting and i i love your your um your your guest to comment on this when when you were making the point earlier about um principals um you know having a say in the staff and and she mentioned how you know it's it's just common sense it's obvious that if a principal is going to be judged on how his or her staff perform they should get to pick them but i would love to hear how the how your guest then answers, well, teachers don't get to pick which students come into their classrooms. So how can they be judged based on how their kids perform? They don't have a say in what happens before that kid gets to their classroom. So I just find it uh, a little bit at odds in, in terms of you hear one thing, it works one way, but then when it comes to teachers, it's a different thing. And we know it's a socioeconomic issue in certain schools, but then we still want to get rid of tenure. I, I just don't see how these things are fitting together, and maybe she can help address that. Yeah, Laura, I mean, he does bring up a good point. It is... Mm -hmm. And, but you kind of alluded to that before, that maybe we should, should pay teachers a little bit more in some of these areas to get the best teachers in there. I think we should. Um, I also think that because you look the, if you look at um, the way New Jersey's teachers are distributed, the fact is that if, even if a teacher starts working in a high, not all teachers, but many teachers when they're working in a high poverty district where they're faced with you know all the sequelae of, of of poverty, which has such a huge impact on on a kid's ability to learn, I think that often you find that once they get a few years in the system, they transfer to a, a school system where it's easier to teach. Mm -hmm. And who else, who wouldn't do that? That's just that's just 
anybody would do that. Um, there are some who stay, but there are a lot who leave. And I think that there's been um, studies that show, not just in New Jersey but elsewhere, that that lower, that less effective teachers tend to cluster in our poor districts. So I think that teacher evaluation is an important element of increasing um, the the achievement of poor kids. I don't think it's going to fix poverty, but I also don't think that the argument that we need to fix poverty first before we do anything about the schools is, is a good argument either. Uh, we're coming to the end. Sean, that was a great comment, and I think uh, one of the things that I've learned on this is uh, the commissioner, and I think the governor would argue, yes, poverty plays a role in that, but uh, all the schools can do is control the teacher and the administration. They can't control the poverty level. But uh, NJA would argue uh, that the poverty level is probably the pre predominantly, and a, a lot of us would argue that the poverty affects learning greatly. Of course it does, and that's why all teacher evaluation systems that I've seen um, are, are weighted for, for poverty. And, okay. And, uh, Laura, we're coming to the end. Yeah. I have like 15 yeah, seconds. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, thank you, the callers, for the great call. I didn't even get to any of my questions because of that. Uh, join us next week. Our guest will be Dave Shiaur from the Education Law Center, and we're talking about school funding and the education reform, uh, education funding report that the commissioner put out. Thank you.